welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. It wasn't all that long ago that all people knew about NASCAR driver Ross Chastain was that he was descended from a long line of watermelon farmers. It didn't take long for him to get past being typecast for his folksy story, as he has won two races so far this year, only his second full season on the NASCAR Cup circuit. His eight top five finishes are two ahead of next best Kyle Busch, and he's second in the point standings behind Chase Elliott. Chastain became part of Trackhouse Racing before the season, after spending his first full year on the circuit with Chip Ganassi Racing. Trackhouse purchased Ganassi's operations. He was so close many times in 2021, but in March... Chastain finally got over the hump by getting his first win at the Circuit of the Americas in Texas. Chastain, who joined this podcast last year, returns now to tell us how he's been able to move to the head of the sport so quickly. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Well, you heard the setup, so let's not waste any time. Ross, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to return to the podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I think it's an understatement to say your life's changed quite a bit since we talked one year ago at about this time. You were in the middle of your first full season seeking your first victory. Now you have two. So let's start with victory number one at the Circuit of the Americas in March. You led a majority of that race. How early on did you think that this was going to be the day that you're getting your first victory? Uh, well, I mean, I, I knew in practice we were we were pretty good, but, but needed a, a bit more pace. And then I just pretty terrible job in qualifying. And um, basically my, my crew chief, still serve the the information that he would make a decision partway through stage one and based on our pace right like if we're fast enough to be passing people and moving forward we we would short the stage and and not get stage points but put ourselves in a better position to win and it didn't look like we were making much ground we'd just try to grab a few points and plug on through the day and just just take the points at each of the stages and, and restart towards mid-pack at the end of the race uh just starting stage three i mean you still have almost half the race left but you know just was going to be a decision made that would set up whether we had at least an opportunity to win or or no opportunity to win which is stage one so i was i was pretty motivated uh to pass people but that doesn't mean much in the cup series you can be as motivated as you want it's uh it's it doesn't make you go any faster uh, (laughs) at this level so um yeah, we, we passed a few people, and and when he said uh, when he said nothing when we were coming to the stage end, um, I knew that I knew he was in agreement with me that we were fast enough, and um, we, we played the aggressive strategy to, to put ourselves in position to win. Well, that's great. How challenging is a track like that? I mean, you're used to oval tracks, and here you are on one that's you know obviously not in a traditional shape. So, how challenging and how cool was it that that's your first type of win that you get? It's unbelievable to me. I still can't really grasp it. It 
it, we've been so in the thick of the season and to think that our first win came at, at a road course is just not very long ago. I was just trying to stay on track and, and learning, uh, you know, let alone trying to, to compete for the win. I was just trying to stay on track and not, not crash. So, um, still pretty unbelievable, honestly. That's great. Yeah. Just trying to stay on the track and not crash. I love that. And then you take the victory. That's so cool. So after you after you win, you finally get to do that ceremonial first watermelon smashing that you had done at previous levels, but never at the NASCAR Cup Series. So I, I watched the video of it again earlier today. You're handed a watermelon. You stand up on the roof of your car, throw it down near the passenger side. So given that the race was in Texas, uh, knowing that was that one of the ones from your own personal watermelon farm, your family's farm in Florida, or do you know where that one came from, or did someone just hand you a watermelon and you threw it down? Yeah, no, no that one, uh, that one was not from the from the family farm. Uh, I, I'm a little blank right now on where it was was from. Roy, our our truck driver on the one on the one hauler, he uh, gets a semi all over the country all year, and he taking on the responsibility um, of that and, and he lets me know when he's gonna you know, like when it's the last weekend we need to probably get rid of it. So um, you know luckily we were able to to, uh, to smash a couple this year and that's uh, that's the goal right That's the whole point of having having that watermelon in the hauler is, is the team knows it's, it's because we're, we're trying to win. Yeah, and that takes us to the second victory. It didn't take you long to get that one, Ross. It was only just four races later at the legendary Talladega. But this one wasn't quite like the road course that you were racing. This one, you had to survive a crazy last lap. So take us through that race and winning that one just just in, in an incredible fashion. Yeah, the, the super speedways and now Atlanta included with Daytona and Talladega are just, uh, just insane. And we led about... I don't know, maybe a couple hundred yards. I have no idea actually how long, how much we led, but it was just the last little bit of, of the front stretch. And, uh, yeah, we didn't do much right all day. I sat on pit road on the first pit stop and, and then made an aggressive move to get our lap back. And, um, at the end there was just committed to pushing the five car and, and then the 43 car. And when they both moved out of the way, it was, it was, uh, just keep it straight and, and cross the line. So I didn't make any, Cool move. I didn't make any, you know, awesome, aggressive, or or smart maneuver. It was just uh, stay in line and and uh, you know just just stay in line. That's, that's all we did. Was that one of those things where later on in the day you're kind of looking back at what happened and you're like, holy mackerel! I I can't believe that happened. I didn't believe it when we crossed the line. Right <laughs> before I crossed, I looked up at the checkered flag and saw it waving. It was a bit of a blur, but I could tell it was was definitely the checkered and I looked to my right and then I looked to my left outside the windows and normally we do not do that. I had to really push myself up in the seat, look over the headrest and and saw there was nobody next to me and and I could hear him saying winner, winner and I I just my brain struggled to comprehend it. So I asked probably four or five times down the back stretch and I didn't even slow down enough to let anybody pass because I was afraid they would win, right? I was just like, it was, it was disbelief the way it happened. So that, uh, that, that feeling has, uh, has sunk in a little bit now. And I know that we want it, but, um, it was still pretty hard to understand in the moment. 
Yeah, I'm sure it was. So, you know, obviously some other things this season, some news you've made. You've gotten under the skin occasionally of some other drivers, namely guys like Denny Hamlin. And I love one of your apologies where you said, hey, I I should probably apologize to half the field. And, you know, uh, knowing that you're now in your second full year, are you getting used to the type of rivalries that NASCAR brings, knowing that somebody probably wants to wreck you down the line? And is it strange that sometimes, you know, one of your coworkers wants to fight with you? I think I think fight's a, a strong yeah. word, but yeah, it's it's not no, it doesn't get any more normal for me. I I hope my fighting days are, are long past me and I, I um you know, I don't I don't want people to be that that mad at me. I wanna race, I wanna race hard and he can be be upset or even a little disappointed in somebody but but to wanna go fight somebody I don't I don't think that's uh that's really in the cards for me, I, I hope, but, um, you know, it's, it's, no, it's, it's not, I've not getting, not gotten any more used to it. <laughs> All right. Well, right now you've got nine regular season races remaining in the season and it's looking pretty good that you'll make it into that playoff. You're tied with the most wins with two. You've got the most top five finishes with eight. That's two more next than the best racer in Kyle Bush. So, did this come sooner than you expected? And do you feel ready to compete for a cup championship in the playoffs? I don't know if that question's ready to be answered yet. I I don't I don't know how you would ever know if you're ready. I I know I did not feel ready for my first cup start in 2017, and uh, it turns out I I was ready. So you know I I just I've learned from that uh, just that that one race example of of just believing in the people I have around me and I had good people then and I've got great people now and I you know, just trust in what they say and what they teach me and uh, just just go uh, go do what we've been doing. I know it's easy to say that and harder to do it, but um, just go compete and, and race. And at the end of the day, if it's a if it's a wheelbarrow race around the backyard or or a cup race, you know, on any given Sunday, it's uh, competition and we do our jobs it's uh that's they they give us they've got to get a give a trophy to somebody so ross as i mentioned earlier you changed teams in the off season as Trackhouse racing bought out chip ganassi racing so how has the change in teams been able to help you get to the next level so quickly where you're now winning races and seemingly contending every week yeah the the new car that nascar you know un- unveiled this year for us all to race is you know, I'd say been the the uh, the fuel on the fire that that track house needed, right? To, or I guess it was the fire itself to, to even be in the sport. Track house would not have existed without this new car, and um, you know the fact that that's the reason that Justin got into this. Justin Marks, our team owner, it, it gives me more desire to make it pay off for him. He's taken a, a big financial risk and. An investment into the sport, and you know that. But like, like I said earlier, like confidence doesn't mean doesn't let you go any faster. It just makes you feel more confident doing whatever you're doing. So um, the the acquisition uh, of CGR transitioning into Trackhouse is um, you know, a lot of the same people are working on my race cars that worked on them last year, and, and have worked there for a long time. There's some long tenured folks that have been in the building for for a long, long time, and Chip was in it for for 20 years, and 
this is just in the second year, you know, in the sport, but really first year in the role that we are now, the two car team based out of Concord. And uh, it's it's not easy, right? It's a, it's 131 people waking up every day with a career and job on their plate of putting two race cars on the track and competing. And um, I, I love that I have them to go to to go to battle with me. And um, really, there's there's more similarity for me this year than probably ever in my career. Even though the, the name changed, the upper management, right? Justin Justin came in, totally changed the culture. Uh, Ty Norris overseeing a lot of things at the, at the shop and on the business side but on the competition side a lot of us are, are still there and, and we're expanding on our you know on our experience from last year so Justin and Justin and, and Pitbull have given us the you know the the runway to, to do what we do as racers and they're there to help us all all the way along the way that that means a lot when your boss has your back Oh, that's for sure. How, you know, I'm curious. You mentioned Pitbull, Mister 305. But how much do you get to interact with him? And and what was it like meeting him and just getting to be a part of a team where you have somebody that's that much of a global star? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I've talked to him on the phone several times and just met him a few, um, I guess, a week or two ago uh, for the first time in person when he, he came to the shop after Daniel won Sonoma. And that was uh, that was a big a big a big moment, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's a guy I've, I've grown up hearing about and knowing the name. And then uh, I've been to a few of his concerts, um, probably going all the way back to 2011. Uh, it was the first time I went to one of his, his shows and, uh, I've been to several more since and way before he was my, my boss. So now to, to get to just stand around the, the shop and, and talk to him about race cars and about, competing and the underdogs and making history it's it's anytime i've i've listened to his show at, you know in the crowd or or in person i'm i feel motivated and i'm ready to run through a brick wall when i when i get done with him he's you know he's a he's an artist but he's a motivational speaker in my mind and he just just motivates me like few people have and um just the fact that he's a car guy and he wants to compete is so cool yeah, that's really great. You know, you mentioned the change in cars. What has been the biggest difference from last year to this year with the next-gen car? Like, what have you noticed? Is it handling? Is it pit stops? Is it, you know, what are the things that you've really, when you drive it, you, you can notice this is different from the past? The, the only thing that's the same from last year to this year is the engine, the seat and steering wheel that I sit in and hold on to, and myself. I mean, everything else is different uh, across the entire car. So um, there's there's nothing to compare. You know, there's there's more things that that are um, way more that are different than are the same. So um, completely different driving style, completely different setups, and just approach. And um, it's a it's an ever evolving thing, right? I mean, this sport has evolved for its entire life, and it. It will continue through this this car and the next one that'll will come along in the future. There, there'll be another better race car that they'll design and we'll race. Um, hope to be around for it. Yeah, you know, I, I love the look of the new cars. I like how they've moved the number. And, and that's one thing. You were number 42 last year. Now you are number one. D- do you care about numbers or do you think it's pretty neat that you have the big number one on your car? 
it is neat. Uh, you know, when, when they first brought it up about the numbers and what we were going to do is track out, they, they said they were definitely going to keep 99. Daniel was going to keep that. And then Justin hesitated and we just kind of looked at each other and we had obviously the 42 or the one, or we could go after other numbers that, that weren't being used if we wanted. And in my mind, I had already thought about it. I wanted to keep the 42. Um, it was the first race I ever won in, in, in the sport in the Xfinity series was the 42 number. And Justin had also driven that same 42 and had won a race in it as well. And I didn't say anything. We just looked and he says, and he just looked at me and he goes, man, you know, we got to take the one. We, we, we got to give up the 42. And I knew it. I knew that was going to be what was going to happen because you just can't pass up the number one, right? It's just a, <laughs> it's number one. And it's, it's just, it is as simple as that. It's the number one. And, um, you know, it, it, I knew it and I agreed and, and we, we, we never talked about it again, but, um, it was a bit of a heartbreak there, you know, just that 42 meant so much to so many of us, but that was Chip's number and Chip was stepping out of the sport and, um, you know, really before that it was the Petty's number. So it was super cool to see them take that number back and, and run it, uh, under the Petty banner. And, um, yeah, we, we haven't looked back. We've got the field covered from one to 99. Yeah, that's really cool too. Uh, hope I'm sure your fans here in Florida hope that at the end of the season, that number one will have another meaning as well. So do you know, who is the racer who has driven the most races with the number one car at 324? I don't, uh, that doesn't even doesn't even register anything for me. <laughs> well, I'll let you know. Jamie McMurray has won or has driven the most races in the number one car with 324, but he had four wins. You in 17 races have two wins, so I think there might be a pretty good chance you might be able to catch him for the, being the all-time winner with the number one car. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. Nope. That's something. Yeah. If you're curious also, Donnie Allison had four wins in the number one. Kurt Busch actually had three and you're tied with Steve Park with two. So there's a little useless knowledge just in case anyone ever asks you about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I read this story uh, a couple of days ago in the Daytona Beach News Journal, one of our Gannett papers here in Florida. And Zach Dean had talked to Dale Earnhardt Jr., who said he was once your landlord. So can you shed some, shed some light on Land Baron Earnhardt and uh, how you were renting from him? Yeah, just a, a kid living in Mooresville uh, didn't have a place to live and uh, was staying with Ron Hornaday at the time. And he was ready for me to get off his, get out of his spare bedroom, and uh, I was, you know, looking to have my own place. And um, he had a one of his uh, mechanics on his truck at the time was also looking for a place to stay and, and live, and and uh, he put us together and put us in touch, told us we should call this this uh, number, and did it was Dale's Dale's company, and um, you know we did, and and got the place, and. Uh, that was uh, several years of, of my life, and Dale would, you know, share the fence line and uh, talk just sporadically, nothing at the beginning, and then slowly got to, you know, just wave driving down the road, and then just happened, um, you know, to to run into each other there on the property one time, and you know, it's um, just small, just normal small talk, right? It's just a, just another another guy, so. Um, at the racetrack at the time I was running in the trucks and Xfinity cars and 
um, you know, I was obviously watching him race. And but when we get back home, it was just, uh, just the neighbor, just the, well, the landlord, like, no, no one didn't want to make him mad. Other neighbors didn't worry too much about, but, um, yeah, it was just, a the, just a couple townhouses that got people coming in the sport can, can go and he keeps them reasonably priced and, um, takes care of us. So most of us move here with, with not a lot and, and, uh, are trying to figure our way. So he, uh, he takes care of us. Yeah. Does sometimes, do, do you have to pinch yourself and say, gosh, I've, Rented from Dale Earnhardt Jr. I'm rubbing elbows with Pitbull. For for a young guy from the small town of Alva near Fort Myers, do you, do you sometimes just pause and say, holy mackerel, what's happened here? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, doesn't make sense sometimes, but I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't think about it too much and just go to work and, and do my deal, right? I'm a, I'm a race car driver at, at the end of the day, and that's what I want to do. So um, as long as I can keep doing that, it'll... I'll work out. Um, so the NASCAR season, you know, it, it's pretty long, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, it's, it's what is it, 10 months almost. You're 29 years old. How do you find time to have a personal life, or what do you like to do when you're not racing? Uh, it's a, it can be a bit of a, it's as much of a challenge as I, as I want it to be, right? I, I can, uh, I can make things, uh, my life busier. I can make, uh, I can make it not very busy. Um, I feel like as a as a driver at the cup in NASCAR and any of the top three levels, especially it's it's as busy or as hard as as we want to make it. So um, yeah, I don't I don't get too worked up about it. And there's still still plenty of time to do things. I mean, you miss out on a lot of a weekend of weekend activities that my friends are are doing. But um, you know, that's it, uh, that's fine by me. I'm not not too social of a person as it is. So, um, I still feel like I, I do plenty. Did you get to get out to see the new Top Gun movie that everybody's all crazed about? I have not. I, I'm not a huge movie guy and, uh, no, I have not, uh, have not done that. Well, just being a race car driver, I think you will enjoy the scenes where they're flying some of the incredible Air Force jets. So uh, when you get a chance in the offseason, I would say to check that out. So last question here, Ross. You know, um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you finally got to smash watermelons after winning a Cup Series races. And it's been well documented about how you're an eighth-generation watermelon farmer. And last year, you even said that you worked the farms a little during the pandemic. So have have you gotten back home recently? Or, you know, this past off-season, were you doing any work at the farm at the direction of your younger brother? Yeah, yeah that, uh, that'll always find a way to put me to work. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he, he likes to remind me I'm not... I'm not uh, the best, the best helping hand he's got. Um, but yeah, a, a very small amount. You know, I won't, uh, I won't embellish it too much and say I do too, too much. But um, I do go sit on a tractor a little bit, and uh, that's that's not my my job, right? That's not what I'm pursuing in life. Um, it's uh, it's something that I had to make a decision about a long time ago, and uh, you know, it, it's hard some days to. To realize that that I'm not continuing on what our family's done for a long time, but I know that my dad and Chad and a bunch of cousins and aunts and uncles are are definitely doing a plenty good job uh, at doing doing what what we do best, right? That's farm watermelons. So, um, yep, that's uh, not not in the cards for me right now, but um, I, I do a, a very small amount, uh, just enough to 
to remind Chad why he doesn't want me there full time. <laughs> well, Ross, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before I let you out of here? I don't think so, man. Just uh, ready for ready for next race. Well, it's been great. I appreciate you taking the time out. And again, all the people around Florida, we're all big fans, and we hope to continue to see you get that checkered flag. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks. And that will do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote Trackhouse Racing co-owner Armando Christian Perez, a.k.a. Mr. 305 Pitbull, if you continue to work hard, let that be the fuel to your fire. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time. Thank you.